You ever worry that you just hear something or see something so often that it's kind of lost all meaning to you whatsoever? Uh, we were riding around with our boys when we were, uh, had four young ones in the minivan, and we were packed in there, and we were listening to uh, an Indelible Grace CD and, and singing the song. Um, um, I, I, I lost it right there, the tip of my tongue. Um, yeah. Anyway, it was a song about Jesus dying for our sins. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, and he has washed us with his blood. Thank you. That's exactly what it was. How did you know? Uh, we were listening to that song, and all of a sudden, Will, who was about five years old, just goes, Jesus died for my sins. That's all I hear in this family. <laughs> Maybe we've heard it too much. I don't know. I mean, and if you... I mean, America, in America, the cross is the thing. In other parts of the world, you know, you'll see statues of Jesus or even statues of other religious leaders. But in America, it's the cross, right? I mean, it's everywhere. It's outside of Memphis in Germantown, the 300-foot cross. Outside of uh, Carroll, Illinois, which I know y'all have never been to, uh, where the Ohio River and the Mississippi River meet. It's the 150-foot cross out you know, driving into Russellville, Arkansas, there's an enormous white cross. No explanation. No meaning whatsoever. No, no words of explanation whatsoever. It's just there. Why? Has it lost its meaning? Did you ever know what it meant? Uh there was a writer in the 20th century wrote for the New Yorker. His name was Joseph Mitchell. And uh, Joseph grew up in North Carolina in the church, and his sister was dying in the late in the 80s, 90s. Uh, and she looked at him. On it, she he went to visit her on her deathbed. They knew this would be the last time they would meet. And she said to him, "Buddy, what does Jesus dying on a cross a long time ago?" have to do with me and my sins now. And Joseph took his time. He was a writer, so he wanted to get every word right. And he swallowed, and he said, somehow, he was our representative. Somehow, he was our representative. And we're going to take the next six weeks, from now until Easter, to unpack that statement. Uh, when I was in seminary, uh, when I was a younger man, and uh, much more argumentative than I am now, if you can believe that, I thought there was only one theory of the atonement that could possibly be correct, and therefore I argued against all the other ones. And what I've come to learn is that the cross is far too large for one explanation, and they're all pretty much right. They're all right. Trying to explain the cross is like trying to describe the ocean. What's the ocean like? Is it stormy? Is it still? Is it shallow and something you can play in for as far as you can walk? Is it deep and blue? Are the beaches black or white? Are they rocky or sandy? Yes. All those things are true, right? Is the cross... 
paying our ransom to free us from Satan and death? Yes. Is the cross propitiating God's anger? Yes. Is the cross cleansing us from our sin? Yes. Is the cross forever dealing with our shame? Yes. That and much, much, much more. And so we're going to unpack that. And we're going to glory in that. And we're going to take deep joy in that. And the first thing I just want you to see is the centrality of the cross. I want you to see that somehow... Jesus was our representative and that his death on the cross is the core to the definition of who God is. It is the core of the definition of who we are. And it is the core to how we see and live this life. It is central. Please stand as we read the Apostle Paul saying some not so great words about us. and explaining to us the cross. Hear the word of the Lord. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words with wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen. May this time of worship together be a demonstration of God's Spirit and power. You may be seated. I resolved to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I resolved to get this one thing. If I could get this one thing, if I could get that foundational, if I could get that established for you, I knew you would have all you needed. I resolved to know nothing else. I didn't come here to impress you with important words. I didn't try to make beautiful-sounding arguments. I wanted to be simple and clear and get this one thing communicated Jesus Christ and Him crucified what is that? what is the cross? the message of the cross is simple and it's incredibly profound that Jesus the Son of God offered Himself as our divine sacrifice to pay for our sins to perfect us and make us his sons and daughters forever. Jesus, the Son of God, made himself a divine sacrifice to pay for our sins, to perfect us, and to make us God's sons and daughters forever. The the cross is the key that frees us from the penalty of sin, Our, our penalty, everything that we owe to God, all of our debts. He absorbed for us 
The cross is the key that separates us from the power of sin. Sin, you know this, right? But I've got to keep reminding you, sin is more than just the bad things that you do. Sin is a disease. God says, Jesus says, uh, it's not the healthy that need a physician, it's the sick who need a physician. I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Sin is a disease that has power over you. And Jesus underwent that disease, and he, he defeated it to free us from that power so that we're not slaves to sin anymore. Jesus, uh, the cross is the thing that frees us from the pollution of sin. Sin, evil, has a, a power about it, a nastiness to it, that when you're close, you feel di- dirty. You feel shameful. You want to hide. And Jesus has come to cleanse us. It's our reconciliation. We were enemies with God, and Jesus came to bring us by the hand and bring us home and, and bring us back into the home, the home and, and, and reconcile us with, with God himself so that we are no longer enemies, but we are his sons and daughters. The, the cross is everything that is important about God, about you, and about the world. The the cross is everything that's important about us. You know what the number one thing the cross tells us? You are way more sinful than than you ever thought. And your sin is a much bigger deal than you ever thought. And you are incredibly more loved than you had ever hoped. And God for you is more wonderful than you would have ever dreamed. And and that information, that is enough to humble the most arrogant world ruler. And it is enough to lift up the most humbled, abased sinner. God... Your sin was so wicked that God himself had to die for you. And you were so precious. You're so valuable that God himself would die for you. Let let those things get inside of you. That, That gives you the humility and the dignity to face whatever you need to face about yourself. Is it a relational conflict you have, either that humility, the humility that you're so sinful God had to die for you, would allow you to come in into that relationship and say, yes, whatever you have to say about me is true. I'm not worried about your, you know, C.S. Spurgeon, a famous Baptist preacher in the 19th century said, I have no uh, concerns with people lying about my characters. The truth is the problem. Whatever you think about me is probably true. It's probably worse. Or or is it a need for dignity? Do you need to say that that I'm so loved by God that, sure, I I can admit my faults. And I can live without everybody's approval today. And I can do what I need to do because God himself loves me. And that's enough. As, uh, as my dear friend Leanne Moore once told her children, 
she had a two-year-old who looked at her and said, Mommy, I hate you. And she said, It's okay, dear. I love you enough for both of us. Are you, are you confident enough that you can do that? If you understand who you are on the cross, you will be. And that enables you to, to walk away from the most addictive sins. I mean, the reasons why we can't get out from the addictive, entangling sins, it's either because we're too proud, we're too proud to accept the help that we need, we're too proud to admit our sin to our friends so they can walk with us and hold us accountable, we're too proud to, to go to the organization or to do whatever we need to do to deal with our sin, or we're too ashamed, we're too small. We're, we're terrified that, that somebody's going to see us for what we really are, and so we, we hide. Either way, if you understand the cross, that you're so loved that God himself would die for you, and you're so broken that God himself had to die for you, you will have what you need to walk away. God, the, the cross reveals what our deepest problem in life is. Uh, Wilson mentioned it last week. You know, our deepest problems are inside of us. Now, I really want you to get this one. Um, so I had COVID exactly a year ago. And uh, it was a one miserable week. All I accomplished that week was I ate 24 muffins. I drank uh, 48 Canada dry ginger ales. I stacked them all up in the window. That's it. I didn't get out of my bedroom. My wife didn't let me out of the bedroom. It was terrible. And then for the next four months, I had fogginess in my mind. I had terrible headaches. I had terrible fatigue. I had moodiness. And what I learned was that there was just enough COVID in my body left that my body's own immunity system was responding. And it was responding by by making my brain inflame and swell. And all those other results were not really the result of COVID. They were a result of my body's response to COVID. Sin has gotten into our bodies, into our souls, so that we respond wrongly to everything. We respond wrongly to everything. And making ourselves get into to gaps and, and into spirals and into toilet bowls. We respond badly to being sinned against. Uh, if you've been abandoned as a child, if you've been abused as an adult, your, your tendency is to, to cover yourself up and to protect yourself. And so, you know, my, I, I dealt with abandonment. I got abandonment issues. And what that means is if I even get the slightest hint that you are starting to grow tired of me, I get very mean. And I give you excuses to go away. I'm trying to protect myself. That is me responding sinfully to how I've been sinned against. But it's not just that. You know why Nellie Olson and and uh, Draco Malfoy were so annoying, so awful? Because they were rich and they were pure-blooded. And what were they doing? They were responding sinfully to how they had been blessed. And that's not just in fiction, right? You know that. By the way, how many of you remember Nellie Olson? It's a bad example. I'll, jump, I'll get another one next service. Uh, 
something that more people relate to. Uh, but what was sixth grade like? What happened in sixth grade? The tall kids made fun of the short kids. The rich kids made fun of the poor kids. The smart kids made fun of the rich, uh, the dumb kids. The strong kids made fun of the uh, weak kids. Right? What were we doing? We were responding sinfully to how we were blessed. You know why I went to Reform Seminary in Jackson? I went to Reform Seminary because when I got to visit, I got to go to chapel. And I heard one of the best sermons I'd ever heard. The sermon on uh, persistent, persevering prayer by Ian Wright. How many sermons do you remember from 1992? It was a good one. And I couldn't wait to go to chapel. And four weeks into my seminary career, I was, standing in, I was sitting in the library scrambling to get my Greek homework done before Greek class. And all of a sudden, the lights get turned out. And I'm told, I said, why don't you turn the light out? I'm trying to work. And he said, you've got to go to chapel. I said, I know, but I can't go to chapel today. I've got homework to do. He said, no, you have to go to chapel. It's mandatory. I said, mandatory? I'm a full-grown man. Give me, you know, credit. He said, yes, you have to go to chapel. I was so mad I didn't go to chapel again for three months. I mean, the entire city of Jackson convulsed at the great Ricky Jones Chapel Rebellion. I altered my life and moved to Jackson, Mississippi so that I could go to chapel. And then when I found out I had to go, I never went again. Oh, I eventually went again, but for, not for a long time. Right? That's me sinning. That's my sinful response to a good thing. We respond sinfully to bad things. We respond sinfully to good things. We respond sinfully to neutral things. Have you ever yelled at a traffic light? Do you think the traffic light saw you coming and was like, Oh, I'm going to change now. You think it did it on purpose? You're yelling at it like it did. Your problem isn't the light, it's you. It's you. The great and glorious news is that Jesus has come to heal what's actually wrong with us. The cross reveals what is our greatest problem, and the cross reveals what what God is doing to fix it and to change it. The cross reveals what's true about us. The cross reveals what's true about life. Think about this. The Son of God walked on the earth among us. And he suffered. And he was rejected. And he died. What does that tell you to expect about life? It tells you that the world is broken and death and pain will not be avoided. And it's important for you to understand that because the second you actually meet death and pain up close... And the second you meet disappointment up close, your first response is going to be, God must not love me. And it can't be that. Because God's own son experienced death and pain and rejection and disappointment. That's what life in a broken world that is turned against God is going to be like. We can't hope that if we are holy and righteous that we're going to win every game we're going to be accepted and loved by everybody jesus himself was rejected and hated that's how broken the world is the cross reveals the nature of life in this real world but it also reveals how committed god is to heal it he could have abandoned it but instead he was committed to saving it to redeeming it 
He gave himself to redeem it. He's not going to give up on it. He's not going to give up on us. He's going to to turn it and and turn it back towards him. The the cross reveals the, the true nature of sin. Right? I mean, when we see sin, sin's always lying to us. It's saying, oh, I'm not that bad. I'm not that big of a deal. I just, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the playground that God won't let you get to. God's law is just a big barbed wire fence to keep you away from everything that's fun in life. And we believe that. Except for when we look at the cross. And then we see the true nature of sin. That it leads to death. That it leads to shame that it leads to misery. That's where we see the true nature of sin. If, if God was going to be so, if God is so turned against sin that when His Son is representing us in our sin, He would turn His back on His own dear Son, then, then we, we will know with no uncertainty that, that our sin leads to death and will not go unpunished. That's the nature of sin. That's, that's the nature of the world. That's the nature of how God is invested in the world. It tells us that in life... Okay, this has been a lot of boring stuff. Let's get right back to the point, though. I want you to understand this sentence. The cross explains to you what God thinks about you. And the reason why that's important is because... Somebody who does not understand the cross is going to interpret their relationship with God by their circumstances. And someone who does understand the cross will interpret their circumstances by knowing God loves them. Do you understand the difference of that? Two people get involved in a terrible car wreck, financial disaster, physical pain, one person says, why did God let this happen? He must hate me. If there's God at all, I hate him. <laughs> or as is usually the case, there is no God and I hate him. And the person who understands the cross says, I don't know why this happened, but the Lord of the universe who loves me so much that he gave his own son for me Let this happen. And I can trust him that he's going to use this to my good and the good of the church. I can trust him. Have you learned to interpret your circumstances that way yet? Because when we're ready to do that, then we're ready to go to the world and we're ready to proclaim the cross. And, and, And what I mean by that is we're ready to explain explain God's God is reconciling himself to the world and call them to him and we we do that by communicating the cross now I want to be careful here I think it's it's easy to go too far and in some cases uh the good guys in this argument have gone too far and what I mean by that is there's almost this in this idea that if you understand the cross that's everything and so every sermon should just be a very simplistic explanation and that's all you ever need uh, that's not true. There's, there's a, the Bible's very big. It's not a three-page pamphlet. I don't know if you noticed. There, there's a lot of stuff in there about life in the world. And you need to know more than the cross. 
But if you don't know the cross, then you don't understand the truth at all. Uh, you may understand half the truth, but half the truth isn't helpful. Half the truth can be very misleading. Um, y'all know I played football in high school, right? Some of you knew that. Uh, there was a game in high school, this is a true story, where I had 10 tackles for loss. I was up in the quarterback's face all night long. I was tackling the running backs and quarterbacks so well I knew them by name before the game was over. Um, I just I was just a, a tool of destruction. One game because Fulton City still remember. My brother still remembers it. Tell you everything about it. Now if I just told you that, as every word I just said was true. I had the words of Wang Chung going on in my mind. I was singing out loud all night. Everyone have fun tonight. Every word I just said was true. Now what would you think about my football career? I must have been pretty good. Okay, let me tell you the rest of the story. I was a senior in high school playing in an all-freshman game. I had never sniffed the field at an important time in a game, and the coach felt sorry for me, so he let me dress out and play against the freshmen. I had finally, as a senior in high school, topped 115 pounds. I was terrible. I was a joke. I made up for being the smallest kid on the football team by also being the slowest kid on the football team. But it's okay. I compensated for my slowness by being clumsy. I was everything you don't want to be. But if I only told you this little half-truth, or in this case, one-fortieth of the truth, then you would think a complete lie. The same is true when we're trying to apply the Bible to people's lives. If we only tell them half the truth and we don't give them the keystone that is the cross, we give them nothing but lies. What do I mean? I mean, let's say you know someone who's struggling with pornography and you come to them and you say, do you not know that the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God? Is that true or false? False. The half truth. If you do not add that what you're craving is an intimacy and a love that can only be found in Jesus Christ, who died to cleanse you from all that shame and guilt, and you can and, and, and has dressed you in his righteousness so that you can freely confess your sins and, and bring light into this darkness and be freed from it. If you do not include the cross, you've told them nothing but condemnation and lies. We have to tell the whole truth or we're telling lies. You have somebody who's disappointed with their life and, and, you have to, and we want to come to them and say, be content in all things. Rejoice in the Lord always. That's in the Bible. That's true, right? Right? And we do that, don't we? And if we we're telling them half-truths that bring them condemnation if we don't come alongside them and say, Christ himself through disappointment. And I don't know why this is happening, but I know one thing for absolute sure. It's not because God doesn't love you. And he has given you his son, and with his son, he has given you all things. And right now, he may be withholding it from you because it's not time for you, but I know he's a good father because he gave you his son, because he's made you his child. And he's got better things for you. I promise. 
That's the whole truth. It's not half-truth. It's just a lie that brings condemnation. If we face someone who's experiencing tragedy, the, the loss of a child. I uh, was in a church, the first church I served in. It was a terrible car wreck, and, and uh, a young lady died in the car wreck. And somebody went to the parents and said, I just want you to know that God was sovereign over that car wreck, and he knew that she was going to die at that point, and he was sovereign on that day at that second. Is that true? Yeah, it is, actually. It's a 40th of the truth. The rest of the truth is that God himself knows what it feels like to see his own son taken in by evil. That God himself voluntarily experienced the tragic pain of watching his own son die and he knows how you feel and he is going to comfort you and he brought hope out of the resurrection and you are going to be reunited with your daughter and he will sustain you until that day if we don't include the cross and the resurrection we're telling half truths at best And half-truths lead to shame and to disappointment and to guilt. Without the cross, we're not telling the whole truth. And we've got the cross. And we're going to tell the whole truth. And you don't have to wait until the series is over. I want you to know you can have absolute assurance. The cross is 100% absolute assurance that you are forgiven. It is 100% absolute assurance that you are loved, that you are, are God's son, that you are God's daughter, that you have nothing to fear between you and him. You can know that right now today by coming to Christ and by accepting the cross and, and, and turning to him. Now, I want you to understand that. You, you have, will have absolute assurance this, the moment you do that. Now, you may not feel it for a while. People get confused about this. Just because you don't feel the assurance of God's love doesn't mean you don't have it. But you see, the assurance of your forgiveness is based on what Christ has done, not on how strongly you, how strongly you believe. Do you believe strongly enough to save you? No. Some people will say, you know, Jesus will save you right now if you're sincere. Well, you're not sincere. But good news, Jesus never said that. He said, everyone who comes to me, I'll receive. And I'll lift him up on the last day. You can have absolute assurance of that today. You don't have to wait till the end of the series. You don't have to wait till the end of Easter. You don't have to wait till the end of this sentence. Come to Jesus. I'm going to him today. I invite you to come with me. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, the cross is just too magnificent. It's too mysterious. It doesn't always compute. It gets complicated, and the more we heap words upon it to try to explain it, sometimes the more clouded it gets. But we come around your gift that is Jesus sacrificed for us. We ask that you would give us the confidence and the humility 
to come to you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.